It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only, call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And welcome into the Virtual Bible Study. This is the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, August 26, 2010. We appreciate you being a part of the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to be with you tonight. Looking forward to a good discussion. Looking forward to a good discussion. We're looking forward to you being a part of the discussion. The number to call is 877-381-4567. The email address to use is questions at collegeview.com. You can also join in the chat room with other listeners tonight uh, as uh, we hope to hear from you on the program. We want to talk tonight about, uh, well, something that's been in the news recently and uh, really started being in the news about two years ago. A gentleman up in Michigan uh, filed a lawsuit against Bible publishers who, uh, he said, were uh, defaming, I guess, homosexuals because of their inclusion of language that condemned homosexuality. Yeah, we in fact, we had an interview uh, set up, and apparently it is not going to happen, with LaShawn Fowler of Canton, Michigan. Uh, he's the fellow who has sued both Zondervan Bible Publishers and Thomas Nelson Bible Publishers. I think he sued Zondervan for $60 million and Nelson Publishers for $10 million. Uh, because, and I'm, I'm reading a news article here, he alleges that Zondervan Bibles referring to homosexuality as a sin have made him an outcast from his family and contributed to physical discomfort and periods of demoralization, chaos, and bewilderment. Um, he says the intent of the publisher was to design a religious sacred document to reflect an individual opinion or a group's conclusion to cause me to quote, uh, cause, quote, me or anyone who is a homosexual to endure verbal abuse, discrimination, episodes of hate, and physical violence, including murder, is what Fowler claimed in his suit. We had uh, uh, had contact with Mr. Fowler, and he had agreed to join us uh, by phone on the virtual Bible study, but he has not been able, we've not been able to make contact with him here at the time for the program to begin, Jacob, so we're going to have to discuss this subject without his help, apparently. Well, hopefully we'll hear from him before too long, uh, perhaps uh, where it has held up a little bit, so... Uh... We had, we had we had tried to interview him some time back, and it also failed to make contact with him. So hopefully, hopefully, Mr. Fowler will call in. But that's the gist of his lawsuit. Uh, I got some more information from news articles that have been written concerning this case, Jacob. He said, I was completely distraught after discovering the term homosexual was added to the Bible in 1982 and then removed in 1994 without any consideration to the many victims who committed suicide or who were murdered because of their sexual preference of homosexuality. Um, he says the Bible publishers are part of a vast conspiracy to design a sacred document to cause me or anyone who is a homosexual to endure verbal abuse, discrimination, episodes of hate, physical violence, including murder. And so uh, that's what he's saying, that, that the wording, the terminology has changed and the word homosexual has appeared in the Bible text and it wasn't there before and therefore... Uh, 
he says that's caused him great distress. And he's written a book about this, and uh, we were going to talk to him about his book and what uh, he has written about and uh, his position on the subject, but uh, apparently he's not going to join us uh, tonight. And so uh, we'll look forward to hearing from you at 877-381-4567 or email questions at collegeview.com. It is an interesting question, Dad, that uh, we would go to the extreme of suing the Bible publishers. Again, I guess alleging that they had um, had gone in and uh, changed the words and made up their own uh, their own edition I guess well here's here's the here's what we've got and there is there, there is alternate wording in among various Bible translations on one key text that he is concentrating on is first Corinthians chapter 6 verses 9 through 11 let me read that from the King James now obviously this is an old Bible translation and you will notice that the word homosexual is not in this verse. It says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of our Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our Lord. No word homosexual there. And so Mr. Fowler is contending that the Bible publishers have inserted that word to suggest something of their own personal opinion on the subject of homosexuality. He says in 1982, I think they took they put it in and took it out in 94. He must be referring to different translations because the King James Version is read that way, not since uh, the original version of the King James language, but uh, has read that way for some time. Uh, I thought I thought uh, a listener, uh, Joel, and I'm not f- sure where Joel is from, he said, uh, what version is he using or accusing was changed after the King James or before? What verse is he referring to? I don't feel like there's enough information. Uh, he says, uh, if Mr. Fowler is saying the actual term homosexuality was not originally uh, used, then I think he's correct. However, it is my understanding that the term homosexual wasn't coined until sometime in the 19th century. Uh, most sources that I've read quote the first use in 1892. To say that homosexuality isn't mentioned isn't fair at all if the word itself didn't come into use until later. So that's an interesting bit of history. Then I think uh, uh, I, I understand that that is the case, what, what Joel has indicated in his email that homosexuality is a, a relatively new term. The King James Version was trans, originally translated in 1611. They didn't even have that word in right. the vocabulary then. But what we have, as Bible translations continue to be made, the effort of a good Bible translation is to accurately convey the original Greek and Hebrew text of the Bible into current language used. Right. And so... Uh, if homosexuality is a word now that conveys a meaning that is that, that that adequately describes what the original text was talking about, then it is not an unfair thing to use that word now, although it wasn't even invented until a, a little over 100 years ago. There are ago. a lot of, if we look at the King James language, a lot of words that are, are in there, uh, several words that have different meaning today than they would have had at the time that the King James Version was translated. And uh, as we look at more uh, more modern translations, we'll see that those words have changed in those translations. Again, not changing the meaning, but changing the word that's used to convey that meaning. And so that would explain why the word homosexuality has appeared in more modern translations. 
Jacob, earlier today I sent out some questions to our update list. And we always re- remind everybody who's listening, if you're not getting those updates, you can send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. Just put in the subject line, add me to your list. We'll do that. If you've been on our list but you're not getting those updates, we have not purged our list and it, it's likely that you're probably getting those messages uh, funneled off into your spam folder. So check that and see if you can remedy that on your end. We have not purged our list. But here is your co- update. I thought of a, a name for your update list today. What would you call it? I'd call it Greg's List. So like Craig's right. List, only yeah. Greg's yeah. List. It could be as, just as popular eventually. Man, yeah. that'd be great. Yeah, great. All right. Here's the questions I sent out earlier today. Number one. What question or questions would you pose to Mr. Fallow concerning his claim that the wording of the Bible has been changed to condemn homosexuality, though the original did not? He says it, did, it wasn't condemned in the original Bibles. Now it is because men have tampered with it. They've right. changed the wording. So what questions would you like to ask him relative to that claim that he is making? Unfortunately, he's not with us on the phone. He told us he would be, but we don't have contact with Mr. Fowler tonight. So we can talk about those questions and maybe surmise how he would answer, but we won't be able to put the questions to him. Number two, does the Bible contain absolute truth? Yes or no, why or why not? Number three, what should be our approach in teaching on subjects like homosexuality? Should we be hard or soft? Should we get in their face or should we water down the message? How should we handle that in teaching on that subject? And then finally, is the Bible's message outdated? Have changing times caused the Bible to lose its relevance in today's world? A lot of people think that's the case. You know, the the oldest parts of the Bible, Jacob, are 3,500 years old or approximately. And mm-hmm. the newest parts of the Bible are nearly 2,000 years old. It's an ancient document. Times have really changed. And things like homosexuality and our understanding of it. You know, we interviewed uh, the Presbyterian preacher a few weeks ago who said, we understand a lot more about that now than they did back then. And so his thought was, we've got to we got to change the message. You know, it's not relevant because of the changing times. We've got to change the message. That is the more recent uh, feeling about uh, a subject that that feeling is expressed about, but it's been expressed about divorce and remarriage, child discipline, the woman's role in the church, all kinds of things people say. You know, that was then, but we live in a new time now. Yeah. And so we, we were asking that question, is the Bible message outdated and have changing times caused the Bible to lose its relevance in today's world? Those are the subjects, questions that we want to get to. We put those questions out uh, to our email update list earlier. We've got a number of responses, and we're looking for your response uh, uh, to any and all of those questions that we just suggested. All right. The number to call is 877-381-4567. Send your emails to questions at collegeu.com. And if you're in uh, listening or watching us from Ustream.tv tonight, join in the chat room. If you're watching us from our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com or collegeview.com, you can join in the chat room with other listeners by clicking on the bottom right-hand corner of the video uh, screen where you uh, click the menu button and then click go to show page and it'll take you to our ustream.tv page where you can uh, join in the chat room with other listeners. Jacob, it looks like you can turn the moderation off on the chat room too. We will do that in just a minute here. I'll do that and you'll be able to uh, comment without a username. So uh, you, you look forward to hearing from your comments tonight. Uh, Master of None in the chat room has been listing several passages of scriptures that condemn the act of homosexuality. Several from the Old Testament, Leviticus 18.22, Leviticus uh, 20 and verse 13. Uh, he says uh, 
This language is clear and is from the New International Version, what he's quoting, the New American Standard Version he quotes. Uh, but then he says, The word homosexual may not have been used, but the act of a man with a man, though not described with the word homosexual, doesn't negate the fact that it is detestable to God. And I think that's exactly right. In other words, that action, give it whatever name you want to give it. You know, you can give it any name. You know, you can say, we're going to call this that. But the fact of the matter is that, that act, as described in the scriptures, is a sin. And it's it, it's always been abhorrent to God. And, you know, it doesn't matter what name you put to it. Uh, homosexual is a new word, we understand, just maybe slightly over 100 years old. That word describes that act. Therefore, right. that word is a fitting word to, to, to use to describe that act. But you can use whatever word you want. But that act, and we know what that act is, a man lying with a man or a woman lying with a woman, is abhorrent to God and has been throughout time. All right. All right, we're going to take a break, and when we get back, we'll get into the questions that we've asked. 877-381-4567, email questions at collegeview.com. We'll be right back after this short break. Don't touch that mouse. The virtual Bible study will be back right after this. I'm Joel Gwynn, a member of the College View Church of Christ with something for you to think about regarding our children. A survey published in the periodical Pulpit Helps analyzed the question of faithfulness among the children of churchgoers. The results are interesting. It was found that faithfulness in kids was not a function of the size of the congregation, the number of classes and special programs sponsored by the church, the effectiveness of the youth minister. Instead, here is what was discovered. In cases where both parents were faithful and active, 93% of their children remained faithful to their religious training. When only one parent was faithful and active, the percentage dropped to 73%. When parents were only reasonably active, attended services, but that's all, their kids remained faithful only 53% of the time. And finally, when the parents attended the assemblies only infrequently, the children's endured at a mere 6% level. The results of this survey are interesting, but not terribly surprising. We've known all along that people, including children, often learn more from example than from the words they hear. That's why Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Matthew 5.16 Parents, have you considered applying Jesus' concept right there in your own home? Are you letting your light shine before your kids? Survey results. Our own common sense and the Bible tells us that this is the only hope that we have to bring them up fearing God. Hi, my name is Mike Holt. My wife and I, we love listening to the virtual Bible study. Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. And welcome back to the program. As we talk about uh, the idea of what do we need to change? Is there absolute truth in the Bible? Has the Bible changed? Does the Bible need to change? Or should we change to adapt to the Bible? As the world around us changes, eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Questions at collegeview.com. I want to go to a couple entries that uh, Mr. Fowler, who was supposed to be with us on the program tonight, but it is is not. Unfortunately, we apologize for that. It's beyond our control. But he, on his blog page, Jacob, he he had a long supposed conversation that, with God, and. Uh, it's back and forth between him and God, and and I just wanted to read you a couple of entries. Dan, this is slide two and three. Uh, num- uh, he says, "How can I show people you?" Are, he says to God, "How can I show people you are not against same-sex marriage without causing an uproar?" And God supposedly responded to him uh, that you should show them. 
first of all, you cannot get people to do anything they don't want to do. But if you point someone to Genesis 2, verses 23 and 24, that would help them answer this question. Well, I think we all know Genesis chapter 2. That's where God created woman for man. And in verses 23 and 4, which he suggested... It says, Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of a, out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, shall cleave to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Uh, that doesn't have anything to do with same-sex marriage. That's God ordaining marriage. And when God ordained marriage, he ordained marriage between a man and a woman, not between a man and a man or a woman and a woman. And so uh, supposedly that's supposed to help us understand how same-sex marriage is acceptable to God. I don't see that at all. I have I would be able to prove same sex marriage with as much authority as I would be able to prove uh, marriage to a, a, a dog or a cat. Yeah, I mean, just doesn't uh, just because know. just because the word marriage is used doesn't prove that you can marry anybody you want. In fact, God gave the parameters of that: a man and a woman. And then he goes on and he says, also point them to Ecclesiastes four verses nine through eleven. And I think that this is another case of a, of a very bad misuse of Scripture. Yeah. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, well, uh, verse 9, beginning, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. There's no reference there to marriage. And, and verse 11, read verse 11 and again, if two lie together, they will have heat. But how can one be warm alone? And no explicit reference to marriage there. I say no that. reference to marriage and no reference to sexual activity, even where it says two lie together. It's not saying, not talking about lying together as in a sexual relationship. It's talking about... Uh, if you were in a survival mode, sure. you know, if you were out in 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 the very cold weather, the, the and there were two of you, and you were on the verge of dying of hypothermia, one of the survival techniques you'd be taught to do is to huddle together. Right. If you had one sleeping bag, both of you get in one sleeping bag, try to conserve your body heat. Right. That's what that's talking. About. That's not talking about a sexual relationship of any sort. You know, it's a it's a it's a it's, it's a proverb or a statement that is true uh, in various aspects. It is true about marriage that two is better than one. If one falls, the other can lift the other up. It's well, not just talking about companionship, companionship. friendship, right. help. Right. right. But it's not talking about marriage, and it's not talking about sexual relationships. Okay. All right. Uh, number to call is 877-381-4567. Email questions at collegeview.com. And if uh, Mr. Fowler is listening tonight, we would encourage him to call in. Uh, we're not, we're not going to be ugly. I mean, we're not uh, we're not uh, trying to be ugly about uh, his position. We just want to learn we, we, more about we, it, and we, we want to compare. We want to understand his position. But what we're seeing, uh, with, without him to defend himself in person, what we're seeing from his blog and from other statements and news articles from him is that his position is not very consistent with Scripture, not at all consistent with Scripture, and not very logical. Let me give you another one, number three, Dan. Uh, in his on his blog page, Mr. Fowler still supposedly in a conversation with God, mm-hmm. said to God, okay, but what about the story of Sodom and Gomorrah? So many believe you destroyed that city because of their lustful sexual acts, man with man and woman with woman. And he says God responded, my child, if you read the story thoroughly, it says no such thing, that God did not destroy them because of their lustful sexual acts, man with man, woman with woman. Well, I believe that it's clear in the Bible text of Genesis chapter 18 and 19 that that's what the men of Sodom were up to. Guests came. They were actually angels in the form of men who came into the house of of, uh, Lot. And the men of the city literally attempted to beat the door down to get at them to have sexual relations with them. 
And and so I, I mean the, the sin of Sodom is well known. What were they? What, why were they beating the door down? Or they wanted them to come out and you know play cards with them and do some hopscotch? What what was the you know? Uh, uh, well, uh, he. But but you know you know what's true. There in Genesis in, in the Genesis account. I went back and reread it today. In the Genesis account, it does not. It does not say homosexuality, and it doesn't specifically say men lying with men. Okay. Although it's clearly implied in the text. But I think Mr. Fowler has missed something. Number four, Dan, in the book of Jude, in Jude chapter, uh, Jude chapter, well, there's only one chapter, of course, in Jude, in Jude verse 7, there's an interesting statement where, where it's talking about God has historically punished those who uh-huh. do wrong. And the King James says, even as Sodom and Gomorrah, the cities about them, in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Notice it talks about fornication and going after strange flesh. The New International Version says Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. The Revised Standard Version says Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise acted immorally and indulged in unnatural lust, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. And so Jude, I think, does identify that the reason Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed was because of their perverted sexual activity. And and so although Genesis doesn't specifically identify that, I think Mr. Fowler has missed missed uh, getting the whole picture by not including what Jesus said. He's not the only one that tries to make that argument, but it simply does not uh, hold uh, compared to what the scriptures teach. Exactly right. Uh, And then one more thing before we stop uh, talking about what Mr. Fowler said and go to some of these other questions. Uh, Number five, Dan, here's here's the reading uh, as it has changed uh, over time. Or at least these are the quotes, some of the quotes uh, that were provided on a blog page. 1970, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 said, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor, uh, nor adulterers, that's a repeat there, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. Uh, that, that's King James wording. Effeminate, abusers of themselves with mankind. In 1982, one, one, and it doesn't identify which translation. One translation said, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites. Uh, and then the same scripture in 2001 uh, says, Surely you know that the people who do wrong will not inherit God's kingdom. Do not be fooled. Those who sin sexually, worship idols, take part in adultery. Those who are male prostitutes or men who have sexual relations with other men, those who steal are greedy, get drunk, lie about others, or rob. These people will not inherit God's kingdom. I think that's pretty plain. In other words, what we have is a progression in Bible translation in an attempt to bring this concept into modern wording. Uh, it's pretty clear. The 1982 version says homosexuals. The the 2001 version, I think this is the New International Version, I believe, uh, talks about those who have uh, male prostitutes and those who have sexual relations with men. It, it, it seems really clear. Here's the word. Let's go to number six, Dan. The word uh, in the King James, which is translated effeminate, is malakos. It talks about 
uh, it is translated as effeminate, a male who submits his body to unnatural lewdness. Uh, then the other word, which uh, the King James translates as abusers of themselves with mankind, are, are synecotes, I think, is how you say it. It's one who lies with a male as with a female, a sodomite. That's pretty plain. The, the, the Greek word there in 1 Corinthians 6 is of one who lies with a male as he does with a female. Yep. I mean, that, that, that's just very clear. And so, uh, again... The words, the word homosexual is a, a new word, slightly over 100 years old, but the concept is not new and has always been condemned and, by God. And we don't have to have that specific word. As you said, the context there tells us uh, that it is condemning homosexuality. And also, if we look at Romans chapter 1, we read about some people who were very uh, ungodly, and one of the manifestations of their ungodliness was homosexuality. In verse 21, beginning in Romans chapter 1, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like unto corruptible man, and to birds, and to four-footed beasts, and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness, through the lust of their hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie, and worshiped and served the creature, a creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this God God, for this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Does it get any plain to that? I mean, that almost would make you blush. Uh, to read uh, the the language yeah. there. We read earlier from Joel, from an email from a listener named Joel, and he quoted Romans 1, Jacob, which you just read. And he says, Paul is clearly referring to the sexual relationship. They were consumed with passion for one another instead of for what? For the opposite sex. I, I would like to ask Mr. Fowler what the Apostle Paul was referring to in this passage if he was not referring to sexual intercourse between same-sex couples. I think I think he's exactly right. Thank you, Joe, for that email. Uh, Jack in Hampshire, Tennessee, has sent in an email. He says, Genesis chapter 19 shows that God detests homosexuality or men, quote, men lying with men. Lot knew the condition of this city, and as such, he brought the two angels inside. He didn't want them with these wicked people. In verse 9, it indicates to me that Lot must have made negative comments toward homosexuality because the wicked men said he is acting like a judge. So he he had apparently spoken, I think Jack's right, I think he had apparently spoken out against their sinful deeds, and they didn't like him for it. Then in Judges 19.22, it says, While they were celebrating, behold, the men of the city, certain worthless fellows, surrounded the house, pounding the door, and they spoke to the owner of the house, the old man, saying, Bring out the man who came to your house, that we may have relations with him. And I'm not sure what version Jack's quoting there, but another episode where there were some who were uh, uh, trying to engage in homosexual acts. Again, it's all through the Bible, and God has consistently and very adamantly condemned that action. Thank you, Jack. All right. Uh, Bob in Indiana sends in uh, some interesting questions about homosexuality and homosexual marriage. He asks, does the Bible condemn or permit sexual interaction between people outside of marriage? Give examples. And, and the answer there is that uh, God clearly does condemn it. 
He says, does the Bible recognize the union of same-sex couples as marriage? And he would like examples of that as well. And again, God does not, and therefore we can conclude that such are against God's uh, authority and, uh, and his, uh, his yeah. law. Bob has actually got us in sort of a loop there. You know, if he says, did they change all the Bible language that pertains to sex outside of marriage or same-sex marriage? And in other words, you, you kind of get yourself in in, a, in an endless loop there. If if they change the words that condemn such actions, then you go back and try to figure out what actions were condemned, and uh, there's no end to that process. If you begin to let Bible the Bible truth be changed, there's no end to that. And Roger in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, uh, has a question he was going to ask for Mr. Fowler, but he says, do you believe that sexual behavior between a father and daughter is wrong? God's word says it is an abomination. Can we argue and state that the Bible publishers have changed the wording of the Bible to suggest that incest is a sin? Why don't we just allow a father and daughter to marry? And where do we stop? We can make many other claims. And that's the case. If we're going to say that the Bible was wrong about homosexuality, that things have changed now, there will be a time which we will have to then allow the incestuous relationship and any other type of perversion because we can just conclude that the Bible has, or the times have changed and the Bible needs to change to keep up with it. Several other good questions that listeners wanted to put to Mr. Fowler. Jim in Mount Pleasant, Tennessee says his question would be the obvious. Does he have an original copy of the Bible that does not mention sodomites, homosexuals? Is he one of these guys that loves to play word games, saying that the Bible does not condemn homosexuality simply because the term homosexual is Latin and the Bible was written in Greek or Hebrew? In other words, Jim is just saying, is this just a semantics? Is this just a word game? I think it's clear, and I think Jim has pointed out, the, the act, the homosexual act, is condemned all throughout the Scripture. Mike and Chris in Columbia say, why only limit this to homosexuality? What about adultery, fornication, lying, etc.? Or even what about the good works that are mentioned, such as loving your neighbor, spouse, and children? Has the wording been changed on those or just on a single topic? We appreciate the comments. Yeah, we've got, got so one more here from Eric in Fayetteville, Tennessee, who says... Uh, I would ask Mr. Fowler what his credentials are in Koine Greek. The people who work on translation committees are usually the best minds we have on the original languages, and clearly his opinion goes against the consensus. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, we need to take a break and get this week's bullet point, and after the bullet point, we'll continue the discussion with you. We need to get into the subject, Dad. What about absolute truth? We say it's wrong to sue Bible publishers because of the wording about homosexuality, but... There are many who are, while they may not be suing the Bible publishers, are taking up issue with God and saying, God, we know you said to do this, but we think we ought to do this. And times have changed, and the Bible is just out of date. Does the Bible change, or is there such a thing as an absolute truth that does not ever change? It is the, the way that it is, and it will never, ever change, regardless of what society does. Let us know your thoughts. 877-381-4567. Email questions at collegeview.com. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Have you checked out all of the resources on collegeview.com lately? Check it out now while you listen to these important messages. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. A recent poll showed that 74% of Americans believe that there's a heaven and a hell. 
That's good news. We're glad that this high percentage of people believe these important truths. But the survey goes on to say that 50% believe in extrasensory perception, or ESP. 41% believe there is human life elsewhere in the universe. 25% are sure aliens have visited us from outer space via unidentified flying objects, or UFOs. And 15% believe in reincarnation. Given this additional information, we feel much less comfortable about the results concerning heaven and hell. Our point here is a simple one. Believing in ESP, UFOs, reincarnation, and extraterrestrials requires faith of the blind leap variety. There is simply no evidence to support those conclusions. It's sad to see that many folks apparently put belief in heaven and hell in that same category. It does not belong there. We should believe what the Bible says about heaven and hell or any other subject because the claims are fully corroborated. God does not want a blind leap of faith. He has supplied, as Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, evidence of things not seen. And he expects us to use our logic and reasoning abilities to form firm conclusions about the truth. Using this evidence, you should be able to tell others what you believe and also to prove why. Or as 1 Peter 3 verse 15 says, to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. Now, back to that survey for a minute. If 74% of Americans believe in hell, why aren't more of them doing something to avoid it? That's not logical either, is it? That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. My name is Jack Coleman member of the College View Church of Christ. We're glad you're listening to the virtual Bible study, and we hope you'll tell others about the program. We're always open to your feedback concerning topics for discussion and suggestions as how we can make the program more effective. Drop us a line at questions at collegeview.com or call us toll-free at 877-381-4567. Quit checking your email. The commercials are over, and the virtual Bible study is ready to roll. Take it away, guys. And welcome back to the virtual Bible study tonight. We're glad you're a part of the program as we talk about uh, homosexuality, but a more broad topic, Dad. We want to talk about absolute truth. Is there such a thing as an absolute, a rule from God's Word that never changes, regardless of how our society may change. Yeah, we asked that question, is there such a thing as absolute truth? we got a call coming in. We do. Uh, Steve is in uh, Cuttawa, Kentucky tonight. Uh, Steve, thanks for calling the Virtual Bible Study. Hey, thank nice you. to talk to you again. Good hey, to to you, good, to hear, good to hear from you, Steve. Uh, well, I had a couple of points to make on the topic of homosexuality and the words that are used. Um, you know, the, the man's uh, point about the translators putting in the word homosexual, there is some slight skewing between the, the two languages when we use the word homosexual. That is, when we look in the English dictionary, the word homosexual uh, is defined as being the desire of, toward one of the same sex. So our English word, when we take it technically, doesn't refer to the practice it refers to the desire. But then in the Greek, when we read, for instance, in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, uh, the words used there speak of the practice. Yeah. And so uh, there is some slight skewing. Maybe the word sodomite is better than the word homosexual in that regard because sodomite definitely refers to the practice. Yeah, I think you're right, Steve. And we've tried to make that point in the past and we haven't talked about it tonight. You know, a person might be tempted... In other words, let's say he has he has some uh, something about him causes him to have uh, an attraction to members of the same sex. It's not a sin to be tempted. Our Savior was tempted, and 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 
I'm not saying about that sin in particular, but Jesus was tempted in all points like as we are, Hebrews 4 verse 15 says, yet without sin. And so the, the temptation or the inclination uh, is not a sin, but engaging in the practice is. And so if, if someone might, wants to make the technical argument that the word homosexual just means one who's attracted to members of the same sex and, and, but never acts upon that inclination, then, then we'd have something to talk about. That's right. But uh, on this word in the Greek that you uh, mentioned earlier, arsenal koite, uh, that, that word is a, a compound word, and it's very plain what it means. Yes, exactly. Tell us, have you got, have you got some, some literal... Uh, I had that earlier. I don't have it with me, Steve. If you yes. got the two-part, gives it a literal meaning. Yes, uh, the first word, arsane, which just means male. And it appears many, many times in the New Testament, arsane, just as male. The second part of the word is coitus. And that is the Greek word from which we get the English coitus. Uh, it's, it's actually the word for bed. Uh, yeah. And in Hebrews 13.4, for instance, uh, let marriage be held in honor among all, and the bed undefiled, obviously a reference to the marriage bed, sexuality and marriage. Well, uh, so coitus refers to sexuality, and we get our word, English word coitus from it. So the word means a man who beds males. Yeah. When you had the... the uh, a man from Nashville weeks ago uh, on on this subject. He said that, that the word is obscure. There's nothing at all obscure about it. That it's there's no way around the meaning of it. So exactly right. So that there's there's nothing that there that can can be gainsaid. I think uh, you're I think you're right, Steve. That, uh, the word's very plain. And again, if, if the argument is that. As we were saying earlier, if the word homosexual wasn't in English translations in, in times past, it doesn't change the fact that the concept has been clearly described and condemned all through the centuries. Yes. Uh, there's, there's no doubt about that if we're going to read the Bible trying to understand what God said to us. Um, Greg, I, I've been reading a little book uh, about... Uh, the subject of same-sex marriage, and uh, I thought I might uh, recommend it to your your listeners if you sure to. sure. Um, this is a book entitled "Correct, Not Pit- Politically Correct: How Same-Sex Marriage Hurts Everyone," and the author is Frank Turek. Okay, give that title one more time, Steve. Correct, not politically correct. Okay, how same-sex marriage. All right, uh, our listener Joel also recommended a book, and I didn't get to that. He recommended a book by Joe Dallas called The Gay Gospel, How Pro-Gay Advocates Misread the Bible. That might be another one that people would like to look for. Yes. Now, this book by Turek, that's T-U-R-E-K, is not uh, writing about what the Bible says about it. We know what the Bible says about it, but... We also know that uh, those who disagree with us are going to ignore what the Bible says about it. This man, 
who I believe is a Protestant minister. But nonetheless, he writes this book just from the perspective of culture and the damage that uh, that homosexuality does to culture and the destruction that will be brought by uh, acknowledging same-sex marriage. So uh, it's a short book, but it's, it's very well written. All right. We appreciate it, Steve. Steve, it's great to hear from you, as always. Well, sure. Nice to talk to you guys again. Thank you, Steve. All right. Thanks. Again. Thank you. 877-381-4567 is the number to call. It's toll-free, and the line is open. We'd like to hear from you. As we talk about absolute truths, appreciate Steve for listening up in Kentucky and for his comments tonight. Dad, you know, we hear a lot that the, the world has changed. We live in the 21st nothing century. Absolute. Everything's relative. Everything's relative, and we thought things were wrong before, and they're right now, and we thought things were right before, and they're wrong now, and everything's just up in the air. It's changed. It's very fluid and dynamic. There's nothing that you can put your finger on and say this is absolute does the Scripture claim to be an absolute standard and something that doesn't change, or should we understand the Scriptures to be something that can change? we got some emails on that question. Jim in Mount Pleasant, Tennessee says, Yes, the Bible contains absolute truth. Jesus said in John 17 when praying to the Father, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth, John 17, 17. Thus all God's word is truth, and since all Scripture is inspired by God, 2 Timothy three sixteen. We know the Bible contains all God's truth. So Jim says yes to the question. Um, and Roger in Murfreesboro, Tennessee says, God's truth applies to all peoples and all cultures at all times because he is ruler over all creations, Philippians 2, verse 6. His authority and truth apply to every area. In the Great Commission, Jesus states, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go into the world and make disciples, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. In the Great Commission, Jesus declares his rule over all creation and the authority of his laws extends to and must be obeyed by all people. Isaiah 40, verse 8 states, The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of God endures forever. God's truth is rooted in his eternal nature. What was true 2,000 years ago remains true to this day. The application of truth will change, but truth itself endures. All right. And uh, Roger, you know, You've got you've got Roger, Roger, Roger. Yeah. Uh, and then Eric in Fayetteville says, uh, uh, "I'm sorry, I got jumped the gun." I think that's all we no, got. We no, got, we got Mike and Chris. Yeah, got to get them. If the Bible does not contain absolute truth, then how can we know if we are doing right in any situation at all? The statement "the Bible does not uh, is not absolute truth" is an absolute. Also, if someone agrees the Bible is not absolute truth, and they agree that the wording has changed on homosexuality, and the Bible actually says it is okay. If it is not absolute truth, then can we still accept it? You, Mike or Chris, are they're teacher telling us here we're just going to go around in circles. Yeah. If we don't have an absolute, then then everything is up for question. Well, you know, this is the logical dilemma that the people face when they make that statement. There is no absolute truth. Well, they're stating that statement as an absolute. And, you know, and so, I mean, it becomes a ridiculous circular logic. And I think it's designed to be something that's of a comfort to them, that there are no absolutes, so I can basically do what I want to. But in, in fact, it is a very un- uncomfortable and uh, a position that has no uh, security in it whatsoever for me to have. I basically can throw everything out the window and have no idea what God wants from me. I have no idea if I'm pleasing him or not. If there is not an absolute standard I can go by, then I'm just left to guess. And who wants to be in that position? Exactly right. Real quick, some verses of Scripture. Jude, verse 3. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once 
delivered unto the saints. I understand literally that suggests once for all time. That is the literal meaning of that expression there uh, in Jude verse 3. Um, 2 John, verses 9 through 11, Whosoever transgresses and abides not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. For he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. Now, there's no tolerance here uh, in this verse. Yeah. Um, we, we referenced John 17, 17 already. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Don't see anything here that's... Shifting, dynamic, it's singular. It's singular. It's static. In John fourteen verse six, Jesus said to them, "I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me." Jesus is being very closed-minded. No flexibility. He's being very bigoted and closed-minded. He says he's the way. If you, if anyone was to come along and say Jesus is the way today, if you were just to quote Jesus and say Jesus is the way, people would say you're a closed-minded bigot. Uh, you cannot believe that way today. They would say. Uh, and then John, Jesus said, John eight thirty two, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Truth is singular. Again, here, uh, the, the, the question to ask, all these statements in the Bible about truth, can there be, can there be something called truth that is not absolute? Now, that's another logical dilemma. If it's true, is it not absolutely true? Is, is, is truth, if you identify it as truth, is that not absolute? One yeah. plus one is two. Yep. Is that true? Well, you might think so, but you, it might be true for you, but it's not true for me. Well, but if it's true, then it is absolutely so. So anyway, uh, lots of questions about absolute truth there, but the Bible's pretty clear on that subject. We've got a couple more things we want to talk about, but we need to take our final break. We'll be back to go to the top of the hour. Uh, we're going we're gonna to talk about how we should approach people to teach them on subjects, difficult subjects like homosexuality. All right. We hope you'll stay tuned for that important subject. We hope you'll join in. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeu.com. Give us a call. Send us an email. Don't go anywhere. The program continues right after this. Are you listening? There's going to be a test on this stuff. Stay tuned. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. Hello. Hey, Matt. No, I don't have any plans for Friday night. What are you doing? Oh, I won't be able to go with you to watch that movie. Because, Matt, the movie is rated R. Hey, why don't you just come over and hang out at my house Friday night? Great, I'll see you there. Being pleasing to God means that you may have to be different than the crowd. But don't be afraid to stand up for what's right. It just might find it is easier than what you expect. A message brought to you by College U Church of Christ. My name is Roger Toombs, and me and my wife love to listen to the virtual Bible study on Thursday nights. A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. And welcome back to the program tonight. Uh, we're looking forward to hearing from you as we talk about absolute truth. And how do we teach absolute truth as we go to the top of the hour? What uh, approach should we use as we talk about these absolute truths? The scriptures are very clear that they're defined. The truths are defined. They don't change. They're static. Uh, what was true in the first century is true today in the 21st century. Truths do not change from God's word. When he revealed his word to us in the New Testament, it is the revelation that will last until uh, this world is destroyed. We want to talk to you about uh, how to present those truths in the final minutes of the program tonight. How do we, how do we t- approach someone, Dad? They're going to think that we're bigoted. They're going to think we're closed-minded. How do we approach people about subjects like homosexuality, about the role of women in the church, 
about divorce and remarriage, about whatever the subject may be. How do you approach that subject? Mike and Chris reference Ephesians 4, verse 15, which Mike says, and Chris reference Ephesians 4, verse 15. In a bad echo there, Dan. Yeah, that's right. Verse 15. In a bad echo there, Dan. Yeah, that's right. I think we're in an infinite loop. Oh, there we go. Okay. Did that clear? No, it no, didn't clear it. Oh, it's, we're going to go on forever. Okay. <laughs> okay, there we go. All right. That's Mike okay. and Chris reference Ephesians 4.15. It says we are to teach the truth in love. We need to preach hard but not hateful, but still tell the truth. There's no room for ridicule or demeaning of the person we are teaching. I think that's exactly right. And and in reference to the fellow that we were supposed to interview tonight, Jacob, Mr. Fowler, I mean, we disagree very strongly with the position that he's taken, but... We we want to engage in a discussion about the scriptures with him and others that we disagree with because we believe it's important to come to a common agreement and understanding of the scriptures. Uh, and so I think what uh, what Mike and Chris say here is exactly right. No well, room for ridicule or demeaning no. the person we're trying and to And I hope teach. that he didn't uh, back out on us because he thought we were going to ridicule him. That is not our approach, and that's not our, our desire here. This isn't, uh, we don't want just people to beat up on and be ugly to. We just want to learn what the scriptures teach. Appreciate Mike and Chris for sending in that. Uh, we have a, a response from Eric in Fayetteville, and he says, Here are some verses that come to mind regarding how we address this subject or any other. First Peter chapter four verse eleven. Whosoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, we should address the subject clearly, using God's word as our guide. He references Ephesians four fifteen, speaking the truth in love. Everything we say and do should be out of love for our fellow man, with the hope that we can bring them to Christ. Colossians chapter four verse six. Let your speech be always gracious, seasoned with salt, so you might know how you ought to answer each person. We need to choose our words carefully aiming for the best chance at being effective. It is sad that many people are hateful toward homosexuals and hide behind the Bible to defend their attitude. They remind me of Jonah, who begrudged God's grace toward a people whom Jonah found repulsive and instead wished only for their destruction. Simon the the Pharisee's view of the sinful woman shows the same self-righteous condescension in Luke 7.39. This is not the attitude of a Christian. Good points. Yeah. We, we need to as we discuss any Bible subject. The, the the purpose of the discussion is not to prove that I'm right and they're wrong. The proof is not for me to build myself up and look like I'm some type of biblical scholar. It's not uh, the uh, objective should not be to ridicule or belittle someone to make them feel as as small as we can. The purpose should be for the two people discussing the subject to come to a common understanding, the understanding of God's word. So both might be in a right relationship with God. We need to remember that. All right. We got one uh, comment in the chat room where it says uh, we should love the person, hate the sin. I believe that's that's a an expression we hear pretty often. I think it's fairly accurate. I think that that, that fits to what we're talking about here. Um, Jim in Mount Pleasant says, "Speak the truth in love." Our purpose is to convert and save, not to condemn and destroy. We should look at the homosexual no different than the adulterer, liar, thief, murderer, drunkard, and so forth. I appreciate Jim's comment, and we have a comment in the chat room that, that echoes that. There are those who think that homosexuality is a big, capitalized letter, sin, and that gossip or gluttony is a smaller sin. The commenter in the chat room says, sin is a sin. God loves us, and we're all sinners. He hates sin. Yeah. That's true. There, there aren't categories in God's I, and, and But I think that this... This particular sin of homosexuality may pose a challenge to us because I think a lot of people are just absolutely disgusted and put off by it. 
you know, because to, to so many, it is just completely foreign to the way we think. We can't even imagine or contemplate or even deal with, you know, in, in sins that we may be more tempted toward. Right. You know, gossip. We, Gossip, you know, or or even, for instance, uh, heterosexual sin. Mm-hmm. Well, it's wrong, but, you know, many people would say, well, I can see how that would happen. I'm not saying it's right, but I could understand how that progression could happen in a person's life. And so you, you tend to be a little bit more compassionate because you, you have a sense of understanding how a person might fall in that sin. Whereas if you're not tempted with homosexuality, then many of us would say, I, I can't deal with that. I can't comprehend it. And so I think it's a challenge for us to deal with it appropriately. Uh, uh, strongly stand for the truth, but express our love and concern for the person who's tempted with that sin. You know, was it the, the, the problem of homosexuality is not limited to the time and place that we live today. It was a problem in the first century, and first century Christians dealt with it. And as you mentioned, Dad, they were... They, they found the way to deal with the sin and the sinner in a way that was effective in, to their conversion. Back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, where we talked about those who were effeminate and those who were abusers of themselves with mankind, the homosexuals. In, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, verse uh, 11, we read, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. There were people in the first century church who had been homosexuals, and they had turned from that, they had repented, and uh, they were in a right relationship with God, not as practicing homosexuals, but as those who had turned from that sin. And we need to understand the same as possible today, and we need to be trying to convert those who are caught up in this sin as well. Uh, a lot of discussion in the chat room. Let me pick up this progression real quick. God hates all sin. Yes, it is disgusting. Homosexuality is wrong and he hates all sin. The sin of homosexuality may be detestable, but God hates all sin. Fornication between a man and a woman is disgusting as well. Uh, someone says, yes, it is. We must do all that we can to help those who are struggling with homosexuality. We must not shun them or turn away from them. Uh, some sins seem worse than others because they lead to or involve other sins. Uh but in all of that, the, then this commenter says, yes, but n- not let them think we overlook their sin. In other words, we, we, should, we should show our compassion and our concern, but we cannot tolerate or condone the sinful activity, it, be it homosexuality or anything else. Perhaps we need to have the same repulsion for all sin that we do for certain sins, like maybe homosexuality or drunkenness. We ought, to, we ought to view all sins as being that uh, despicable to God. Yeah. Uh, Roger in Murfreesboro says we should teach our, our uh, we should approach our teaching on homosexuality with a spirit of love for the sinner's soul. Galatians chapter six verse one. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, uh, gentleness, considering yourselves, lest you also be tempted. Uh, though this mainly refers to restoring someone who has fallen, I believe we can use the same approach in teaching. If the person I am teaching wants to argue nonsense and refuse the truth then it might be best to kick the dust off my shoes and move on. Uh, so he says uh, we need to be gentle in our approach, uh, and if they don't want to hear, perhaps we need to move on. All right, so we can't change the message. I think that's clear. What we're trying to do is change 
ourselves and others to comply with the message. In other words, we can't change the message. We've got to change the man. Yeah. And, and that, that's what we've got to try to do. Okay. We had one more question, and we really have dealt uh, pretty much with it already. But our final question was, is the Bible's message outdated? Have changing times caused the Bible to lose its relevance in today's world? Uh, we've pretty well dealt with that. A couple of comments we got along that line. Jim says, God does not change. All sin is against God. Consider Joseph's statement in Genesis 39.9. Men may wish to think that the times dictate the teaching, but it is God who dictates what is to be taught. His word does not change. Men may ignore God's will, but that does not change God's will. It continues forever. Okay. Uh, you know, one of the things that's amazing about the Bible is its timelessness. As we said earlier, it's an ancient document, you know. The newest parts are 2,000 years old. The oldest parts are 3,500 years old. And yet it still fits and it still works. And although the world has changed considerably, the Bible still works. It still fits if we will allow it to work in our lives. It's a timeless document. Surely that is part of the proof of God's inspiration. All right. Those comments dovetail what Mike and Chris in Columbia have sent in. They say in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, it says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Also in Proverbs chapter 23, verses 30 through 35, there's an admonition against strong drink or alcohol. However, even those, even though those verses were written a few thousand years ago, they describe exactly what people go to, through today when they are addicted to alcohol. So the Word of God is, uh, as you said, timeless, and we appreciate those comments. All right, we had a lot of good comments tonight from a lot of different listeners, and we Ro- appreciate it. Finally, Roger in Murfreesboro says, No, the Bible is not outdated. Again, read Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8. My comments in question 2 above. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of the soul and spirit, joins tomorrow, and judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. While the Bible was completed approximately less than 2,000 years ago, its accuracy and relevance for today remain unchanged. The Bible is a sole objective source of all the revelation God has given us about himself and his plan for humanity. Society changes, beliefs change, uh, but our God, our Lord is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. How dare we assume we are wiser and smarter than God, thinking we need to change his words. See also Deuteronomy 4.2, Proverbs 36, uh, 30, verse 6, Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23, Matthew 28, verse 20, uh, Galatians chapter 1, 6 through 9, and Revelation 22, 18 and 19. Appreciate uh, Roger for his comments. Uh, in, in the chat room, one uh, chatter there says... Uh, so many today laugh about the sin of homosexuality. I hear young people using the phrase, that's so, and then he censored himself. But I, I think, think it may have censored him. Oh, really? Yeah. So, but I think the expression he's using, that's so gay. I think you hear kids saying that. Okay. Uh, and, and sort of making light in doing it. And he says, uh, we need to teach our children this is not funny, it's sin, it's abhorred by God. Okay. Uh... All right. Anyway, anyway, we're just out of time, we but we appreciate all the good comments. And we ought to say thank you to Dan for manning the controls tonight, Dan. Thanks, uh, Dan. I appreciate you uh, being over there tonight and uh, and uh, for manning the controls. Hopefully everything went well. Uh, we didn't have a camera that was working on him the whole time tonight, so you didn't get to see Dan, but he was over there working feverishly. We appreciate his time uh, tonight. Dad, thank you for uh, the discussion, a good discussion. Uh, we are, uh, you know, again... Uh, disappointed that we couldn't talk with uh, Mr. Fowler about his lawsuit. It would have been enlightening for us, hopefully, to talk to him. Uh, but uh, a good discussion. God's Word doesn't change, and we need to make sure that we change to line up with what he's revealed. Yeah, we can't change the message. We've got to change ourselves. All right. Well, we appreciate you being on the other end of the line tonight, and we look forward to you being back here next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word of the Bible, and live by it every day. 
You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you